Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. In this session, we're going to be looking at Psalm number four. And let's just jump right in, shall we? Psalm number four uh, begins with the what we call the subscript at the top saying to the choir master with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. So we know that this is a Psalm that David wrote. And this Psalm, as we're going to see, has a lot of um, similarity to Psalm three and even some connections to Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Uh, let's start working through the verses. Verse 1 says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So David begins here by asking God to answer his prayer, but not only that, but also by saying that God has delivered him in the past. God has heard his prayer and responded to him in the past. And so now David is asking him to do that again. You have given me relief when I was in distress. That's the reminder that God has, um, again, delivered David, rescued David, helped David in the past. And now he's asking God to graciously hear him and respond again. And we can just go ahead and pause right here and talk about how this should help us. Um, remember that uh, we can pray, uh, that God does hear our prayers, uh, but also remember the ways that God has answered your prayers in the past. Uh, when you are uh, struggling maybe to believe that God hears you or to believe that God cares about what you're praying about, remind yourself of things that God has done for you in the past, ways he's answered prayers for you in the past, and let that fuel your prayer in the present. Let that help you believe that even if um, God may feel distant or um, you may have been praying for this thing for a long time and God hasn't answered the way you want just yet, uh, have those reminders to help you and encourage you uh, as you recall the ways that God has been faithful and God has been gracious in the past to help you keep praying uh, in the present. All right, then verse 2, he says he, he changes his focus from God to a group of people in verse four, he says, or excuse me, verse two, he says, Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So he's addressing a group of people who apparently are either speaking or entertaining uh, false words related to David, related to the king. So they're vain words. There are lies and David's honors being turned into shame. That doesn't mean that David has actually done something dishonorable or shameful. He's acted honorably, and yet they have so twisted and distorted who David is or what David has done, right, that they've turned his honor into shame. This sounds a lot like what was happening in Psalm 3, where Absalom was trying to take the kingdom from David, and David had to flee uh, away from Jerusalem. And uh, David had been a great king, but all of a sudden he's being run off, right? Um, and being uh, rejected in a sense, um, even though he's done nothing at that point to, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say nothing to deserve that. But, but as far as how he's led the country, he's done well. He, there have been some flagrant sins, right? Not only in his family, but also in the, uh, with uh, Bathsheba and Uriah. Um, but uh, for the most part, right, David has acted honorably. And uh, so anyway, so he's um, he's 
responding to those, warning those who are uh, perhaps slandering him, uh, who are unjustly uh, opposing him or whatever it is they're doing. And then he says, verse three, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Uh, David, of course, has been set apart as the anointed of the Lord, the king. And uh, he's saying, he's warning them, saying, God hears my prayers. If you wrongly oppose me, you set yourself against me, you try to destroy me, uh, I'm going to call out to the Lord and the Lord hears my prayer. Uh, you're going to be putting yourself not just on the wrong side of David, but on the wrong side of the Lord. And so uh, he warns them about that in verse five, uh, excuse me, verse four. And then, um, wow, no, not either of those. Verse three, excuse me. Then verse four, he says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So David here says, okay, so you are angry, right? You are uh, wanting to oppose me. Well, don't act on that. Don't sin. Instead, he says, ponder in your hearts and be silent. So think about what's going on. Think about what you're doing. Shut your mouth. Don't act. And get right with God. He says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Instead of rebelling against the Lord's anointed, trust the Lord. Trust that God uh, has appointed the king for your good. Trust that uh, God is at work for your good. Trust God's promises to bring the Messiah. All those things. So he uh, warns them and then exhorts them, encourages them. And then verse 6 says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Now, it's difficult to know for sure what's going on in verse 6. Is the first part of the verse um, a genuine question, right? Or is it a critical question? Uh, I think I read it initially as a genuine question, but then um, one of the uh, a commentary I was looking at suggested that it's a, more of a critical or a skeptical question, uh, as if they're saying, well, who's going who's gonna to do good? Who's going to show us good? Who can we count on to uh, you know, make this right? And David then responds, if that's the case, by saying, I'll tell you, the, the Lord. Right? So he says, the, lift up the light of your face upon us, the Lord. In other words, asking God, God, you be the one. They're, they're saying skeptically, who's going to show us some good? God, you can do it. God, you shine your face upon us. God, you give us uh, the grace that we need. And then verse 7, you, he says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine, wine abound. Uh, in other words, what he's saying there is um, what God give the joy that God gives us uh, is better, higher, greater than what people without the Lord experience, even on their best days. You have a big harvest, lots of grain, lots of wine, time to celebrate, uh, lots of joy, all that kind of thing. David's saying, the Lord has given me more joy than that. Uh, if you're uh, a Christian who either was saved uh, late enough in your life that you um, remember what it was like to live without the Lord and to live um in sin, or if you've gone through a period of rebellion against the Lord where you uh, sort of walked away in a sense and gone your own way for a time, um, then uh, 
you probably know what David is talking about here, right? That you can look back on those days where you were doing your own thing, going your own way, uh, not interested in the Lord at all. And was there some pleasure in sin? Yeah, the Bible talks about the fleeting pleasure of sin. There, there's a reason why people pursue sin, but it, the pleasure it offers doesn't last. And the consequences of it, of course, are not not worth it. And, you know, we could go on and on about why we shouldn't do it. But you can look back and say, I'm so, even though I've left that, those sins behind, that for a time I thought that's what would make me happy. I've left those behind and the Lord has given me so much more joy, so much more than what I thought of as my best days uh, in sin and rebellion. Uh, God has given me so much more joy than that just from knowing him and following him and belonging to him. That's what David's talking about. So then he says, verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So God gives peace. God gives security. Uh, God gives uh, rest. The Bible says God gives his beloved sleep. So um, that's what David's talking about here. Now, real quick, let me, let's me let make some connections uh, between uh, Psalm 4 and the earlier Psalms, between Psalm 4 and Jesus, and between uh, Psalm 4 and us. So real quick, Psalm, a connection between Psalm 4 and the Psalms that go before it. Here I'm dependent on uh, James Hamilton's commentary. Probably everything in this section I've, I've read or heard or, or saw from him. Um, and so he, here are some of the, the ways that Psalm 4 is related to the Psalms that went before it. Well, first of all, <clears throat> Uh, the opposition that the king is facing in Psalm 4 is very similar to the opposition he was facing in Psalm 3. And the opposition we see in Psalm 2, where the nations are raging against the Lord, against his anointed. In Psalm 3, Absalom and those who are with him are trying to overthrow David. In Psalm 4, something similar seems to be going on. Uh, and then um, in Psalm 4, he encourages uh, those who are rebelling to instead... Uh, shut their mouths and ponder on their beds, which uh, recalls uh, Psalm 1, which talks about meditating on God's word day and night. That there's um, a connection there, pondering, meditating, thinking about what's right and true and good. That's the course that they need to take uh, in order to turn from, as part of, you know, turning from their rebellion uh, to now trusting in the Lord. So there's a connection to Psalm 1. Uh, David also talks about sleep in both Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. Right? In Psalm 3, verse 5, he says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. And in Psalm 4, verse 8, he says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Um, so there's a connection there between the importance of sleep. And think about this for David. When you're a king, you never know who might be plotting against you, who might be seeking to knock you off of your throne, and to take your place? Uh, is it going to be the, the guard who's supposed to be protecting you, standing right outside your chamber? Is he going to uh, slip in and um, get rid of you in, in the night while you're asleep? Or is it going to be, you know, somebody else trying to get around your guard to get to you? You don't, you don't know. Um, and you can imagine how easy it would be to be paranoid as a king, to be uh, restless and fitful in your sleep, always afraid uh, that somebody's going to be plotting or acting against you while you're resting, while you're sleeping. But for David, even when Absalom is trying to overthrow him, even when 
David's rule is probably facing its greatest threat, maybe the most likelihood that someone would try to take David's life after uh, when, after the time when Saul was trying to kill him for so long. And this is not new to David, right? Uh, that he's able to sleep and wake up in the morning and he says, God sustain you. That's why I'm still alive. Uh, in Psalm 4, he's saying, I'm able to sleep because I trust the Lord. I know that God uh, keeps me secure. Uh, and so we'll come back to that a little bit. But that, he talks about those both in Psalm 3 and verse 4. And in Psalm 3 and Psalm 4, uh, David talks about the Lord hearing his prayers, uh, that God answers him, that God hears him. Um, how does this all connect to Jesus? Well, first of all, um, verse 2 of Psalm 4 uh, describes the kind of response that Jesus received as well, right? Where it says, um, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Uh, those who opposed Jesus were not interested in the truth. They were just interested in getting rid of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, they uh, opposed him to the point of seeking to put him to death. Uh, one time they even accused him. Some even accused him of casting out demons by the prince of demons, which Jesus pointed out to them didn't even make any sense, right? Now, why would Satan be trying to cast out Satan? Uh, that's the passage where Jesus talks about a, a house divided against itself can't stand. If, if Satan is fighting against his own kingdom, it's, it's going to fall. Right? So they were, they were so set on trying to find uh, a reason for discrediting Jesus that they were even said things that didn't make any sense. Uh, so the same thing was going on in Jesus's day and their opposition to Jesus as the Messiah, the King of the Jews. And we know that just like God heard the prayers of David, we know God heard the prayers of Jesus. In fact, even more so. Remember Jesus says in Matthew 26, when he's about to go to the cross, uh, couldn't I call legions of angels? Couldn't I call upon the, on the Father and he would send legions of angels for me? Uh, Jesus knows if he just asked that the Father would not only hear but respond and grant his requests. Uh, Jesus also says in Luke 11, or excuse me, John 11, when he's um, raising Lazarus from the dead in that passage, he, he, it says, he lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So God, the Father, always heard Jesus, his son, and uh, but Jesus wanted people to know that, right? <clears throat> so um, in those ways, Psalm 4 connects to Jesus. And then finally, how does it connect to us? Well, first of all, we too can call upon God and know that he hears our prayers. And he may not always answer us the way we want or when we want, but if we belong to Jesus, we come to the, to the Father in Jesus' name, we know that God hears our prayers. We know that God cares for us. The Bible says that we can approach the throne of grace uh, to find help in our time of need. Um, we also know that our ultimate joy, our greatest joy, the best joy, comes not from the approval of the world or even the good things that God has given us in the world, but from God himself. So just as he says, I've got more joy than they have when their grain and wine abound, we have more joy in the Lord than those who find their only joys uh, in this life. Uh, also, <clears throat> God gives us 
peace, like David talks about in verse 9, or it should be verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. Uh, the Bible says God can give us peace that passes understanding. Uh, to think about a king being able to fall asleep when someone's trying to overthrow his throne, that's peace that passes understanding. Uh, and we can sleep because we know God will keep us, finally. verse Again, the end of verse 8. Um, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Here's what we know. We're in Christ. We belong to Jesus. Even if we go to sleep and don't wake back up on this earth, we will wake up in the presence of the Lord. No one can snatch us from his hand. No one can bring any ultimate harm against us. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8, no one and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. God holds us secure so that even when this life comes to an end, we awake to a new life in his presence. So that's Psalm 4. God bless.